like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. Um, I want to say, Tato Pizza Ye O Muji. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone Gossip. Fucking camera in the truck. now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast and man oh man do we got a show for you there's a lot to talk about here this is a really fast set the main set hour and eight minutes god man that's so quick i don't think i've ever heard a pearl jam show there's one that's coming to my mind that's copenhagen 2012 that was really fast and might be within minutes of that but man an hour and eight minutes is a quick set and it almost comes to the point where the encores almost match the same amount of time as the main set did and i don't know if we've even gotten close to that before at least in like a more modernish era so, man, this is going to be a really good show. Got a lot to talk about. We're going to go over some of the rumors and stuff like that. And, man, this is a good time to be following this band because there is so much on the horizon. We're sitting here right now, and this week seems to be the prime week. If it hasn't happened already, then it's going to happen within a few days. We, it feels like we're on the periphery of big breaking news of album of tour of all the above. And it just seems to be just gravitating towards us. And I'm excited to kind of talk about it because now we have a little bits and pieces of direction where we can lead to and kind of get some thoughts out. So yeah, man, it's going to be a really good podcast and hopefully all you guys enjoy this man. Randy Subble over here, John for over there. Hello. Hello. Hey, man, what's going on? Yep, it feels like ever since their email on the 10th, it was like, stay tuned, it's going to be a big year. We don't want you to miss out on anything. Since then, everybody's kind of like leaning forward in their chairs, like, okay, is it going to be today? Is it going to be today? Especially because they linked the tour page 
in that little paragraph that they had is like, Oh, don't worry. We, there's big stuff coming and it's coming real soon. And then if you click on the link, it's the tour page. So it's like, Oh, okay. This is obviously going to come and no more teases, no more kind of skirting around the idea. And this is kind of a trend that I've noticed that it needs two newsletters, two newsletters before you're like, okay, you've gotten all of your reminders that you can get. They did a update your membership reminder on December 10th. Then they do it again, January 10th. And I think that two right there is enough for you to be like, okay, we got the word out. If you're not paying attention, then that's on you. But for all of you that do pay attention, then you're in for some really, really cool stuff that's coming up. A big tour from what we hope and what we've read through rumors and everything like that. And it does feel like we're just right there and we're ready for it. And they did announce on their show. We know they're playing the Bottle Rock. Napa Valley. Yeah, the Bottle Rock yeah. Festival. So we've got Madrid. We've got a, another show, I think, in... Portugal, Spain, Portugal, and then we've got Bottle Rock. So we know of three now. So we're just waiting to fill the rest out. Yeah, they'd only do like three standalone shows. That's pretty normal of them, right? Yeah, totally. They're just going to do Bottle Rock and they're going to do like their gigaton set and it's going to have seven o'clock and Never Destination in the set. You know, no, no new music, no acknowledgement, none of that from Austin that the end of the gigaton tour, they're going to act like nothing happened, right? just going to be get it back like 17 times you know that could work if anybody remembered the damn song i don't remember the last time i've even listened to that but that might be down with turning mist as one of the more forgotten original songs out there probably many of you might not even know turning mist so but what we did get revealed this past week was the wonderful pearl jam online.it the italian website that luca runs and he's been doing it for years and years and years he had come across a source that had given them the information for titles of two brand new songs that were said to come out within weeks so look we could be recording this right now we can have like actual information on it and then maybe the next day we might know completely different news or we might get that clarified for us. But as you of right might have now, already heard us talk about it, you might have already heard us talk about it. You might have he- already heard the song. That's how behind that this could be. But the two songs that are said to come out are called Wrecker and Dark Matter. Now, you can't judge a song by its song title, but there were little bits of description in there as to what these songs sound like. And it seems like the wrecker, which is it, it's not the wrecker it's wrecker, but everybody kind of seems to make the fixer joke. So I'm, I'm sort of in on the fixer joke. It's making me think of it too, that you have the fixer and then the wrecker wreck it, Ralph and fix it. Felix kind of deal. I don't know, but that's sort of a straight up rock song from what this report tells us. And then you get to Dark Matter, which I kind of thought sounded like a title of an Earthling song. You have like In the Dark and then The Haves, and it's kind of within that realm, thinking about how Andrew Watts producing the record and this being listed as an acoustic ballad, which is another story for a minute or two. But 
maybe was this a holdover from Earthlings? I don't know. It might be, it might not be, but that's as much information that we have from that report. Now, let's kind of talk about what McCready has talked about. And he's talked a little bit about how the record is kind of a back to basics, back to like scorching solos. He even mentioned Reach Down as being one of the similarities with a song. And mentioned no, not, that, not with the song, but just how he was playing with like, he was fair. trying to get back to playing with like reckless abandon like that. Right. And with Cameron, he says it reminds him of the old Soundgarden days. Yeah. So a straight up rocker and an acoustic ballad doesn't quite tell me that this is what was promised for the record, but I am intrigued. Who You Are was the first thing we heard off of No Code, so you never can tell. But, I mean, you remember, too, when Gigaton came out, remember the quote from Stone was, like, I had a totally different track listing that I would have put out, so we know they had a bunch of leftover songs. I wonder if some of these are leftovers from that era as well. I'm going to say 100% not, because they went into the, and this is going to contradict what I just said about, and this is me remembering what I just said about dark, dark matter and that being a holdover from earthlings. 100% not because they went into that studio with completely fresh ideas, brand new material. They didn't play their own instruments. The only one that was allowed to bring their instruments was Cameron. He was, he brought his Yamaha and, and that was that, but Watt took them out of their comfort zone for this. And it felt like, Everything was just brand new, and they came up with it in that time where they worked together in the studio. So I don't see this being a holdover record at all. I think I remember saying this when Gigaton came out. I, was just, I hope that we get some interviews, some behind-the-scenes stuff. Like I'm very curious as to what making this record was like. Well, if we want that, I think I know a platform that's pretty good for that, that I'd want to hear them on from people that do pretty good interviews. What do you say? Should we look into it? Doors always open. (laughs) Yeah, but we got it. We got to show them where the door is. You know what I mean? So look, it's the dream doubt. It's going to happen. There's literally just a a pipe dream right now, but look, if, if you want it to happen too, then sometimes when you say something and get in the band's ear, they'll be like, okay, all right, let's go down this direction. But I would highly doubt that it would happen for this. So, all right. Well, we could talk about stuff that doesn't exist yet for another hour and a half and make it longer than the actual set itself. But I think we got to get into what Prague 2006 is here. And this is a Patreon request from our patron, Brian Smith. And this is following up on their nice little Italian run that they did in September of 2006, where, if anybody knows, Imogene and Corniche, that was where all of those shows were kind of documented and where you see some of those shots of, like, Mike playing Let Me Sleep in the Coliseum and then, like, Ed and Boom walking into a cathedral and Boom getting to play a B3 organ in a cathedral. Like, all that stuff is happening. The Torino show is known for being the full-out Mavocado show. So, like, these special things that are going on around this time and the band really kind of knows their material that they're working with here. And then this is obviously you're moving into a new territory in Europe and you're seeing a whole different fan base as they were in Italy for five straight shows. So 
now they're, as we mentioned, kind of like this being a really fast set, being hour and eight minutes, and kind of knowing that Copenhagen show from 2012, I've always kind of connect that Copenhagen show with another Prague show from that year. Maybe they were both very fast main sets, and maybe that was just something that they thought, okay, this is what this region of Europe wants to hear and how they're going to react to it. And I thought it was really interesting. It's kind of a different set that we don't get to talk about a whole lot. You know, they always feel fast when you're there, but yeah, this one goes by super quick. You know, I've been at shows where you're like trying to keep track and trying to look and say, oh, how long are they going to play for with this and this? But yeah, this one, even going back in, you know, there is a video that kind of skips around and skips a few songs here and there, but even going back and forth and listening, it was like, okay, kind of waiting for the big moment to come. And there's a couple of them that come in later, but yeah, it just flies by. All right. As mentioned, Brian, it's his request. That means Brian's got a little story to tell all of you, and that's about why he picked the show. So why don't we get into telling this right now? Prague was my third show. I had been to Glasgow in 2000 and Dublin earlier in the 2006 tour with my big brother, his fiance, and our friend. I got 10 club tickets for the Prague gig, and by the time it rolled around, my fiance at the time and I were in the process of splitting up, selling the house, etc. So this came at a perfect time to forget about the shit at home for a few days. This time there were about 12 of us who went out and it was an incredible weekend. Three of us couldn't get a flight from Glasgow or Edinburgh, so we had to fly from Newcastle, which is a couple hours of a drive. As you can imagine, on the way down, the three of us were all super excited. The journey back up the road was a different matter. A couple of days of living it up in Prague had taken its toll. I don't think I managed to speak all the way home. The gig was on Friday, and I caught a pick from McCready. There's actually video on YouTube, and you can see him throwing it out during Daughter at the 24-minute mark. I don't know if I caught that, but that's very cool. The floor was all GA, and I was about one row back from the barrier. I had my right arm pinned across my chest, and I seen him flicking it out in my direction, but I lost it in the lights. Then I felt something hit me just underneath my collarbone and had it drop into my hand. It's one of the yellow ones with the palm tree on the back. The next day, hungover, we went to the pub and watched the... Oh, well, this weird feels weird reading this, but it's obviously football for over there. But watching Celtic beat Rangers, which to me is like, okay, Boston either beating New York or Texas. Oh, yeah, a big rivalry, yeah. Yeah, I know of both of those names, but just seeing them both together is like, hmm, that doesn't make much sense. No, it's but it's the it's the Red Sox Yankees. It's the American in me that doesn't understand this. Correct. And that was the icing on the cake. It's probably not the best show, and I can't imagine it'll top many people's best of lists. I've been lucky enough to see them a few times since, and there have been some amazing shows, but this will always be one of my favorites. I love the avocado era, and there's a good variety of the new songs played here, and they sound fantastic. It's a great match show. He knocks it out of the park. The crowd were up for it. They obviously missed Poland on that tour, so you can hear folks chanting about it after Elderly Woman. The show feels really fast. I love Last Exit in the Animal. Its significance and you are highlights for me and always happy to hear Given a Fly. The man, Quintent, is great. Finished off with some nice crowd participation on Better Man. Let's hope for more of the same in 2024. And then in a further email said, 
I'd like to add a thanks to my brother Martin for bringing home that first mixtape with Why Go and Garden, and also Brian and Dave for making sure I caught the flight and got home safely. Cheers, Brian. Brian, awesome. that was great. Thanks for sharing that. And hopefully our detailing and reliving of this show is exactly how you remembered or or at least how you've listened to it on the boot for the last 17 years or so. Well, with that being said, I think we can kick this show off and the set list off and you kind of need to set a tone somehow for an hour and eight minute main set, which means there's not going to be a release or sometimes or long road or anything like that. That's going to ease you in. It's going to get you in right away with a song that lasts on a good night about two and a half minutes long. And that's a song that was played in Italy as well because of the nature of where the song was written. MFC opens up this show. here in the opener role it's only been done seven times and i don't even think i would have guessed that much i guess a lot of those times are probably 1998 it's random shows 2005 2006 or a few yeah yeah this is is the last one though today i I think i went back there have been a couple of shows where we've done it like the missoula show from 2005 honestly i don't remember that at all weirdly enough that we cover so many shows and it's tough to have a full Rolodex of everything, but I, I guess it's good that this feels fresh so we can kind of speak of it in a fresh intake, but they did this in Milan. Obviously MFC, written in Italy in 1996, that's the story behind that, but they have to play it in Italy every single time they go there. Just a great way to open pumping energy right out of the gate. You can tell from the big fuck it line. We want to start off on a hot start. When Ed just screams out, fuck it, you can feel like you're in that moment and dig in with the band as they're about to get into some pretty heavy stuff from the next three songs. I agree. I think this is awesome, and I wish it would show up in this early fast section more throughout the years. But I have a theory as to why they did this here. I think they had such a good time in Italy that they just wanted to give them one last tribute as they were leaving. Let's try to recapture some of that italian energy and come out with mfc here at the first show let's try to give them a little toast before we move on i'll buy on that for sure and it's not often that we talk about gnawing happening in the first song of the main set so 
that happens too. And the clapping in the beginning is very, very good as well. It leads you into like, okay, knowing something big is about to happen and the crowd is just waiting in anticipation. That was really good. And what about, how would you feel if it was untitled in MFC to open? Is untitled an opener that would work or no? In theory, but I think that it works so well in the middle of the set as being a song that like after hearing a lot of those kind of songs like Last Exit Animal Life Wasted, that it takes you almost by surprise. And not saying that as an opener it wouldn't, but I feel like you need to intake a little bit more of the set before you get to Untitled to build up to that. Not it's saying it's like a change of pace, yeah, kind of thing. I, I think so. I'm not yeah, saying that it I'm would be bad to open up and it might be a real good red hot start might have some extension on parts and things like that but i just think that the way they utilize it is excellent and why stray from that last exit animal life wasted last exit to me is the highlight of this we talked about a version a couple weeks ago that i felt like just ed didn't have his normal accelerated voice on it and he kind of left a little off and i think that was the second song of the set too but this you can tell that's why i love that last exit so much is that you can tell especially from the start how into it they're going to be it has that it factor and look ed was on top of everything he's really kind of making it theatrical at the end of this one too but this really will tell you what kind of show it's going to be from matt cameron to start second song in and we have our first filthy fill of the night and boy it's a good one talking about Cameron a whole lot at this show so that's just one little piece of that that'll come back a lot later there's a fantastic solo at the end of last exit too there's a lot of solos in this show that I thought were kind of like different like kind of deviated from the norm a little bit and last exit is the first one as well definitely cool to listen to animal and life wasted follow up on that with all that momentum and animals right on the money, just fast, but also feels like it's right in the pocket, allowing everybody to shine. Mike's solo is really good. You can hear the crowd singing along in the background. That's really good. But Life Wasted, kind of following up on that and giving you the first avocado song that's going to back in this little section, which is funny because you get the first four pretty fast stuff, and that probably lasts you no more than 12 minutes, which is maybe a record. <laughs> But small town being there is kind of the barrier between life wasted and the rest of the set doesn't really explain what it's going to be. Life wasted will have a little bit of Javier on it, but what do you got about those two? Yeah, life wasted, especially I thought it was really interesting underneath what Mike is doing. Stone does like a pick slide up and down. Going to get a little technical here. Hopefully I won't step on Javier's toes. A little rink rink sound. If anybody knows what that is. 
like a really metallic sounding pick slide up and down. I've never heard him do that in Life Wasted before. It was just really subtle underneath what Mike is doing, but it was very, very cool. Kind of tying in the two songs, Animal and Life Wasted, I kind of asked him about like Mike's solo at the end and what made it so ethereal. He's going to talk a little bit about how these solos sounded, what Mike sounded like here. So just get his pulse on the subject and listen to his genius. It's Javier for his first second. Randy, hey John, hey everyone on the podcast. So we are covering my favorite live face of Pearl Jam. So I might be a little biased towards the show, but anyways, 2006 era. It is a, my favorite, favorite, favorite of all times because I love the sound. I love what they were using. I love the gear. I love the guitars. I love everything surrounding. But for Life Wasted, Randy was asking me about like what is that weird sound in the back. And actually, you can hear it in a bunch of other songs throughout the show, but also you can hear other elements that they're coming from this pedal. This pedal is called the Line 6 MM4, which Mike used from 2003 till 2011, I think it was. I'm pretty sure that it was removed in between 2010 and 2011, and he ended up replacing that with some other elements that were more fit to the sound that he was trying to get. But in this case, this pedal one is going to do, it is going to add a bunch of modulation options to you. You have four clicks, you have four little knobs there that they're going to help you just to emulate a bunch of stuff. So in this case, the sound that you hear at the end is based on the Boss CE1, which is a super classic old school chorus assemble that it was integrated on this pedal for him to use. The other one that you can also hear it in that kind of version of Light Wasted, you can hear it in Animal as well, you can hear it in some other songs that are being played in the show, is the Pan Phaser. The Pan Phaser is not as a regular phaser or a jet phaser. A Pan Phaser sounds more like an airplane. And if you notice that it's in a lot of songs throughout the show. Those were elements that they were heavily, heavily used around this time because he was getting a lot into mod. He was getting a lot into choruses, like flangers and stuff like that. Then he ended up adding the Electrical Mistress on the last previous tours. And he ended up adding the Mutron or the Bifacer, whatever you want to call it, because it's the same thing. So anyways, we wanted to add that and we wanted to start our show in my comments with that first couple of tracks, or in this case, the Life Wasted track, which Randy was so interested about. So yeah, that's how we're gonna kick it off this week. Thank you, sir. 
Good stuff. Great, great. We'll be back very, very soon for insignificance. Now I want to address something because obviously this is a show from Prague and Czech Republic and Czech is apparently a really, really tough language to speak and a tough language to learn to Ed's credit. He only spoke Czech this whole entire night, maybe some thank yous and some naming band members here and there in English, but this is mostly him speaking in Czech. And it's going to come back a little bit later. I really wanted to know what he would say in certain instances at the show, which he doesn't talk a lot, but he will reference some things. So I want to give a big thank you to our listener and patron, Kevin Miller. And I had put there on our social media, like, does anybody know how to speak Czech? And he sent me a DM and said that his sister-in-law, Sabrina, knows how to speak it, and he sent it to her, and she enlisted some of her friends. I'll shout everybody out here. So Sabrina Hadsell is the sister-in-law, and then her friends, Katka and Peter Hlod, that all live in Brno, Czech Republic, all helped yeah. out to figure out what this is. So we had a little team going. Going worldwide it. on the detective agency now. I like it. Damn right. Yeah. We ain't just an Atlanta, Syracuse thing. Come on. This is cool. So first of all, I think we didn't really touch up on it, but in mentioning Brian's story, he said something about how there were people chanting what he said after elderly woman, but it was actually in between elderly woman and life wasted. And you can tell from what we heard, you can easily tell them saying you forgot something. And it was almost unintelligible what the next word was. And they were really close to the mics. And there were many of them that were chanting this. When asked specifically for that, the team in Czech said that they could not figure this out. It wasn't anything that they recognized at all. but. It seemed to be from what Brian had mentioned in his story that a few people from Poland that didn't get their show in 2006 were getting their uh, thoughts out there. We're speaking their mind a little bit about having to, I guess, travel to check to actually go see them. And, so, and, and Poland, they usually go to Poland on a European tour if it's yeah, like they, a substantial one. A couple of years, mm-hmm. couple of years ago, yeah. But I mean, it, it's funny, like the reason our Czech friends didn't understand it because they're not speaking Czech. They're speaking Polish. They're saying, you forgot Polska, which is the Polish way of saying their country, Poland. Makes a lot of sense. It sure does. I'm just happy that we have clarity on that. Like yeah, that's it's very prominent in the bootleg, too. You're like, what are they so mad that they forgot? I listened to it a few times trying to, and like, you and I talked about like Raka something, but it's definitely a something Ka. And Polska makes a lot of sense. They were upset that Poland didn't get a show. They have a right to be, for sure. But I think they went back to Katowice in 2007. So I think they did end up getting their show. Yeah, right. Very shortly after. So translation here after Life Wasted Into Elderly Woman. This is pretty much what I expected out of this, but this is what the crack team in Czech had told us. It is for the Czech people that we play in Prague. I would like to tell you, I would like to thank you for having us in the city of a hundred spires, Prague. 
And apparently the phrase city of a hundred spires is a special old Czech phrase to describe Prague. So, all right. That's Very cool. our history lesson for that. Last time we did a Prague show, we talked about a clock. So little other details thrown in there just kind of make all the story and the history lesson even more substantial. So, all right. That will get you into elderly woman by encounter in a small town into worldwide suicide, into insignificance. Elderly one, very spirited performance. I thought that it was really good singing from the crowd here. Worldwide suicide, cool sounding Ebo in the beginning. And I am just very surprised that on this European tour run, they played worldwide suicide more times than they played even flow. That was a little shocking to me, but that's the song they're hammering down in 2006. Yeah, yeah. They want to play it every single night. More than Life Wasted or Severed Hand. We don't even get Severed Hand at this show, but those songs are not being hit as hard as Worldwide Suicide is. And Insignificance will have a little bit more on because there is a great transition that's just immediate from Worldwide Suicide to Insignificance. It sounds really good that where you have a great juxtaposition between the two chords that it ends and begins on. But what'd you get from out of this section before we get into insignificance? I'm with you on worldwide suicide again, not one of my favorite songs. So I sometimes tend to gloss over it a little bit, but this performance is good. I mean, this whole main set, nothing really sticks out. Like sometimes they do early in the set. Like you'll point to one song and be like, Oh, that was the one, but it's all done very, very well. The average is very high and really not a bad thing to say about it. I mean, Brian was right on talking about, Cameron. This is a fantastic Cameron show. But all of it I thought was just very well done and very fun to listen to. Even flow is later. There's not like a big McCready moment in the middle of the set which we're used to. But it flowed very well and it was all very good to listen to. So we get a Javier moment for insignificance because there's something happening on this version when you get down to that calm before the storm where they build up that big build up to go back into that really just ramped up ending and that's going to come from stone i think we talked about it maybe even last week i can't remember which version had insignificance at this point but that stone was doing like a little solo in that spot but this he's kind of doing something that almost sounds a little warped it was very interesting and kind of kept it up through the bridge but stone can sometimes in the mix especially nowadays it can just feel you know he's not the most prominent of band members because mike and matt are really pushed up pretty high but stone was pretty prominent in this and his part kind of led to a red hot finish here and obviously again insignificance is a fantastic cameron song but i asked what was going on in this version, second verse kind of sounding very warped, kind of cool sounding, and Javier has a response for that. So let's take a listen.
significance, you can hear that the guitar sounds kind of warpy and it's kind of super cool sounding. It has a lot of filtering into it, adds layers upon it, etc. So Stone, in 2006, built its own board. Yes, the guy does it all. He builds his own, creates this magnificent pedal board that he was trying to kind of like master and dominate. One of the few elements that I would like to talk to about this pedal board is the fact that he also, in this board, he included a Klon pedal. A Klon, for you guitar geeks out there, you know that it's probably the most sought after overdrive pedal, and he included this pedal, an original version of this pedal on his board, which is insanely pricey. But anyways, he got one, that was his main overdrive that he was pushing through the basements that he was using around that time and created that a very, very unique Sharpie edge tone that he was always well known of, but it was more prevalent right now. But anyways, if we go back to that detail of insignificance, that warpy sound, this pedal was included for the first time ever in this tour. And unfortunately, it was one of those pedals that it was just kind of one run and one run only, which in this case is the Ibanez FL305, which is a flanger effect pedal that is absolutely insane, is on the vintage end for sure, and it's not very common to find. But yeah, around this time, his tone was trying a lot of pretty cool stuff. Other basic elements that he still had on this board at this point were like a compressor, a wah, a volume pedal, and the infamous Line 6 DL4, which is a very well-known delay pedal that Mike also still used till this day. But yeah, that warpy sound that you hear in that recording is a flanger pedal that is made by Ivanis, which is the FL305, which very vintage, very cool tone, extremely manual to use. It doesn't have any presets, so it comes a lot upon the player in the way that you want to make it sound, and you don't have to just make it easier for yourself. So my assumption is that he spent a lot of time trying to figure it out what was the tone that he wanted to get out of that, just to make it fit the songs and make it fit the live setting. So yeah, that was on Stone side this week. All right, not bad getting a binaural song in there. Thank you so much. And Javier said, you're good for the rest of the episode. Just give me that filthy fill on even flow. We'll be all good. So I can promise you that. I can promise you that, sir. So yeah, Insignificance, great. I thought this was a great performance. You're going to get into your two avocado right here. There aren't a lot of avocado played at this show. And that's where we're taking into these two. And then Comatose is going to come in the second encore. So that's really it. They didn't touch up on anything else. So Marker and Sand and Unemployable. You know me with this song, Marker and Sand. I'm going to talk about it for as much as I can because how much I love this. So drums and Cameron is thunderous on this version. Again, the bridge even has a filthy fill in this. And... Really, his whole entire role in the song could be called a filthy fill. The whole entire song, he's absolutely killer on. So let's hear that, Phil.
Stone has another really cool texture part that he's experimenting with that sounds awesome, and it is one of their most underrated live tracks. And even at the time, it is kind of in the middle tier of the songs that they've been playing a lot from this record. On the top tier, obviously, Worldwide Suicide, Life Wasted, Severed Hand, Comatose, some of those. And it feels like maybe next year is Marker in the Sand, but boy, if they played it every night, I wouldn't have bad an eye. Especially if they played it like this, this was something special. I'm not that high on it, but I did like this version. I mean, it's all about that outro when it switches, like, can they nail it? And I thought they did a really good job of it on this one. This is a great version. I think it's all about getting to that outro, that final part where it flips and goes into the kind of the choiry, gospel section, which is very, very cool. Yeah, unemployable didn't do much for me here and kind of a momentum killer why we talked about that a little bit but up until then insignificance in the marker in the sand is very good. yeah i wouldn't say that unemployable was a momentum killer but kind of in the way that i was so into marker in the sand that i just sort of mentally checked out during unemployable because exactly. yeah. that i still was thinking about that and it was still on my mind so when Unemployable hit, and again, that's not one of my favorites off this record as well, it just sort of felt like a Catch Your Breath song. A lot of other people do like the song and love how it was brought back in Austin this past year, but it didn't really capture me. And maybe if Unemployable was after Worldwide Suicide, maybe I would have a little more to say about it, but Insignificance and Marker of the Sand definitely blew it out of the water where it just kind of became persona non grata. So see, I think marker in the sand into you are would have been really cool as well. That would have been a really nice transition. Interesting. Yeah. That's where we are here. You are and sad and whipping and you're barely taking a breath between these songs, obviously with the amount of time that's allotted for here, but everything is just song after song after song. Go keep it up. Keep it up. It's a sprint. And I thought that you are sounded really cool. Stone is working with the drum machine. Feels like more of an upward momentum vibe in comparison to last week where maybe that is not a song that catches on in colder weather. I don't know, but that one didn't quite gravitate. But Mike is doing a lot of cool like interstitial stuff in this too. Like he has little bits and solos in parts and he just kind of, again, that ethereal sound that was in some of the earlier songs brings it into UR as well. And sad whipping, just fast. Everything is high octane on this. And look, they hit a lot of songs that I don't just like, I love. They hit Insignificance, they hit Last Exit, they hit Marker, they hit Sad. And it's been a little like while a, since it's done. Set for you. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. That's actually, think about the set list draft part, because I'm going to bring that up later. Keep an eye on that, and if I forget to bring that up, then sort of poke the bear a little bit. But what'd you get from these three? And then we'll talk a little bit about Sad. I'm definitely on the UR train here. I think this is low-key one of the best performances of this night. I thought it was absolutely killer. Just the way Cameron pulls it off live, first of all, and then what he and Stone can pull off together. I thought they absolutely nailed this version. Whipping was so fast, I originally thought it might be comatose but that's going to recur a little bit later too, just a, a speedy set here. But yeah, you are definitely one of the low-key highlights of the show. It might come back for me. Going in a whip in two minutes and 20 seconds. Like, it's a short song as it is, but 2.20, that is not a lot of time for whipping. That's like saying in comparison that Lucan would be played in 30 seconds. 
<laughs> it's almost taken half off off the song. Let me look and see how long whipping is on the album. I'd say like two forty-five, two fifty, two thirty-five. Two okay, so we're only so fifteen seconds off. Still, fifteen seconds is a lot to cut off a song. It's true. Yeah, that's true. They cut fifteen seconds off of "Given a Fly" after a while, and you can tell easily. But it's another Cameron clinic. I, I don't think we have to really repeat that on songs that are going to be faster than the original versions. It's Cameron. And on Sad, it's Cameron as well. Just heavy presence, pushing a faster pace than usual. And I thought that Sad was extremely powerful in this. Even the riff, even a little bit hypnotic in spots, even with that speed that you don't usually get out of Sad, it's a little bit more rhythmic in a way. But there's another great Filthy Phil transitioning into the solo and that solo on there too mike's working an octave pedal in full force i love that sound sad is a common one where he brings that out and yeah everything about this is just very good and he's even again one of my favorite things just bleeding solos into the next section of songs and just keeping that vibe going and almost sort of keeping the hot streak alive. Very good version of Sad. Five songs left to the end of the set. <laughs> An hour and eight minutes, but I didn't think it was going to be like, like we just started. Yeah, really. I mean, you're going to hear some music, but damn. Okay. Even flow and daughter for this section right here. And this is 2006. What is the most popular add on from 2006 that was done night after night in this year? that again it's cameron and you just remember this year being the solo in even flow and obviously cameron's almost been mentioned every song here and it's gonna ride up until that point where cameron's gonna drive a lot of that pace a lot of that fast uproaring tempo where even there's a moment where you can kind of tell that stone almost has to catch it up where it's going so unbelievably fast that Stone's kind of doing that dun, 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 and he's trying to keep up and is having, a, I guess for him, maybe a difficult time, but it sounded like Cameron was far beyond everybody's comprehension on this, which is kind of a good thing. Yeah, this is an interesting version of Evil. I mean, it's well over seven minutes, I believe. Mike's solo feels like it has four acts to it. It's like almost a play unto itself even before you get to Cameron's part, watching Matt kind of go into the solo and transition to it, 
the rest of the band leaves the stage. Like, they really leave it to him, like, really play it up. Spotlight gets on him. It's just really a solo. He's the only one on stage at that point. Just watching him transition from the heavy on the snare, and you've got to be heavy on the snare to get that kind of crisp punch to it. And then to transition into the even flow beat, and like that's one of the most impressive things. Every time I hear him do that by himself, it's like he's playing the melody of even flow on the drums. It's just absolutely impressive. One of the coolest things that he does. I'm gonna dedicate this one to the gear guru since he wanted to. It was one of his notes. I just want to hear it. So, in its full glory, Cameron in this prime on the even flow solo. You can't call this a filthy fill, but it is filthy. energy coming out of you flow daughter is just like taking a speedball or something there daughter is completely almost out of its element and i don't know if it really like caught me off guard that daughter is being played that fast but this is at the part of the set where you've been listening for a little bit less than an hour but it's almost tiring you out intaking the whole thing you know what i mean like everything is on top of each other and yeah momentum's flowing really really well but that one song that could be either before a daughter or something like that or after a daughter that just breaks it up just a little bit and gives you room for the end wasn't here on this and that's gonna be a talking point before alone jeremy evolution daughter's got a little bit more to it i think but i think that's sort of teeing you up for that now with daughter being so fast it kind of leads you all to the progression that's going to come with a tag and then that sort of develops a little bit and what i love is that jeff without really knowing sometimes where the tag is going to take you they'll just go into that wma baseline while everybody's just clapping and chanting and ed's doing whatever to get everybody invested i love when that wma baseline just comes in and it doesn't turn into WMA at all. I think that's one of the coolest things about a daughter tag that you can get to. I mean, even before the tag, there's that little lyric change that says, trust to make mom proud. Yeah, a little, I caught that. Little hint, yeah, a little hint of what's going on through Annette's mind on this. Yeah, this tag is all over the place in an interesting way. There's a little bit of Blitzkrieg bop in there. There's some calm response. There's the, the mother- to mama let it go. Something was on his mind with mods on this, and I don't know if it was a plus or a negative. I can't tell. And the couple of lines from John Lennon's mother, which they hadn't done in eight years since the first night at MSG in 98. 
Then there's a little improv, something about one glass in the morning or one dress in the morning. Yeah, this is uh, very heavy on the mother-daughter imagery here, not just the title. I, I guess I just don't know this Lennon song. I guess I just don't know it. Yeah, it's a later one from like one of the later solo ones. Yeah. Now, this is a popular thing that happened in the daughter tag and i think it might be on like a popularized version it could be constitution hall and maybe that's where i know it from for live on two legs but do you remember the version where he does the mother hear me do you remember that i thought that you don't oh that sticks in my mind i thought that that was what he did before going into rocking in the free world on that constitution hall version Somebody can chime in right here and send me a text or a DM and correct me on it, but I thought that that's what we were getting here. Because, again, I didn't really know what the song was, so I thought it was a, a little attached. So it was a little, I guess, just kind of surprising that it didn't go in that direction. I was ready for it, but there's a lot here and a lot of good call and response moments. And once the song finished, the crowd absolutely lets them hear it. All right. Alone, Jeremy, Evolution. Alone, another deep cut for the series. Collector, Jeremy, one that everybody from your girlfriend you invited, your best friend you invited to the show, to you as a child watching MTV in 1992, to the new fan that has just gone into. Well, speaking as a child of the 90s, I don't know where I'm going with that, but it makes sense. Uh, And then evolution. I'll throw this in because I kind of mentioned the whole part about like needing a buffer song before alone, even if it's not like a nothing man kind of song, even if it's just sort of like an off tempo kind of deal, like it could have been gone. It could have been something like gone that just sort of takes you out of pace just for, yeah, just for a second or two. (sighs) The set list draft thing that it really reminded me of, when people made set list drafts, and I think we always used to say they're just trying to kill the band. People would put like Leash and Blood and all these crazy songs at the end of sets. And it's just yeah. like, are you going to have an encore or not? It would be insane after a while. And I kind of get that same vibe from Even Flow on is that, are you going to kill this band? Maybe not actually that, but you know what I mean. Yeah, Alone is interesting because it's obviously, you know, it goes back to the very, very beginning, but it's always a surprise when it pops up kind of randomly like this. And what's it doing here? It's very strange here. And don't get me wrong, Aurelian's yelling at me. Like, I love the song. Don't get me wrong. The outro here is very, very cool. But this is a weird spot for it. I don't get it. But again, it's a deep cut. People love the deep cuts, so you're happy to have it. But the Sudless thing, it feels like someone tried to squeeze in like oh i want to hear a deep cut so i'm just gonna throw in one like and we would be like they're never gonna do alone right there that would never happen but here it is and i think that just goes back to like not having something to buffer right there and like alone after daughter just feels like it should be normal but it's not like they're treating it as it's normal and they should really build up to that moment and they didn't really do that with this I don't know why they chose to play in this amount of time. I, I, I would guess that they had two hours and that was it. But I guess some of it is just sort of a mystery as to why these decisions were made. 
I mean, and then obviously after after the series collector one, you need the big single. So Jeremy brings everybody back. Yeah, and you can see from the video that the videographer in this goes to the crowd and you get to see everybody singing along. And like I said, it's one for everybody. And Evolution is really the same way. It's always one for everybody too. But I, I guess here's sort of a thought with maybe a shorter curfew time and also a lot of that time. 2006, he's conversing. Not as much as he does now, but... It's sort of like the year where you do get those sections broken up and he'll talk for a little while because, again, there's a language barrier here. I wonder if he's just like, all right, I'll talk when I need to talk and I'll talk and check and I don't need to talk in English. And maybe that was just some of the reason why it just jetted so fast. I don't know. But this is not a storytelling night. No, but within the set, you do get some. I guess of what they're thinking. So that's story in itself. But yeah, after all of this 17 songs, I need a nap. That's how fast it went. Really, you got to be on top of it when you're paying attention like that and you're doing notes and you're trying to think. You need a second. So Stone sounded good on Evolution, but yeah, you go out on a high. Oh yeah, that first solo. I mean, I mentioned that at the beginning, like there's some solos here that kind of go off the edge, go off into some interesting territory. And that first solo into the evolution is one of those. It's like such a different melody and like so melodic in like a different way than the song. It was was very, very cool. I loved it. All right. Well, it's nap time, which means it's time to pause for station identification. So I guess what's upcoming is a little bit of the unknown at this point of recording this. We always record on Friday nights. Either you know or you don't know now, where if you know, then we have already recorded something, put it out there, and we might have even put it out there on the same day as the episode. Either way, you have our reaction at some point. Whenever this goes down, whenever we know something, our reaction is shortly to follow, whether it be album whether it be a tour announcement, you'll have us and we'll react to the whole thing. We'll break it all down and do what we do. So if that hasn't happened yet, and if we expect something to happen this week, then the morning after the announcement or hell, maybe even the night of the announcement, we'll have something for you to listen to. You know, everybody kind of wants that analysis and we'll have our thoughts and takes on social media as well. But that's where we'll really save all the juicy stuff and really get into a little bit of history as we usually do, a little bit of thoughts here and there. And that will all happen. We can't wait to give it to you guys. Like, this is our Super Bowl. It doesn't happen a whole lot. We don't take any of this lightly. A lot of what I've said on social media and reacting to rumors is that you just want to be right and not first on things. And... You know, when the band says it is really time to get the gears going and and really truly react. So it's what we live for. And I hope you guys live for it too. As time goes on, we will think of stuff to do when the album comes out and doing listening parties and doing obviously tour reactions for Patreon. We could talk about that right now. It'll all be there. Extracurricular, anything that we can do to make it more we will make our attempts. So speaking of Patreon, that's going to be the big sell for this year are all the reaction episodes. And we'll think of ways to get everybody involved. 
Obviously, being on the East Coast and all the West Coast shows is going to be real tough, but we'll find a way to kind of match what we did being on site and make it feel like an instant reaction live from the arena. We'll still try and do all of it. It's just reacting at that point where people are just walking out the doors. And that's what we wanted to do. That's what we want to express with these shows. Just more of that in 2024. A lot of people join up on Patreon just to listen to that. And that's kind of where all your support comes in as well. This is a big year to help support us. Obviously, going out on tour will be a big deal. Try to get as many places as possible. May is going to be really tough being West Coast, but we're going to try and represent ourselves really well there. If you just want to contribute to what we're doing, I know this is as it's an important year for us. It's an important year for everybody as we want to get to the tour and we want to get everywhere. Everybody else wants to get everywhere as well. So we understand if it's tight, but it just helps us work to get to the spot that we want to be for this time of year. And every donation helps the dollar a month. I can't say anything more about how important the dollar a month donations are for Patreon. It all goes into what we do. So a dollar a month will get you all of the episodes that we've put to Patreon. I don't even need to sell the episodes now. There are well over 200 episodes, things that you can listen to on Patreon as we speak. Last week, we released SNL 2010 as a part of our late night series, and we're planning on doing the Jimmy Fallon Tonight Show version of the 2011 performances very soon. So that should be up at a later date, maybe in the next couple of weeks. More Evolution episodes are going to be coming at some point this year as well. All of the episodes, all of what you want to hear for a dollar a month, and it just contributes into what we're doing, and it's a big help. If you want to go a step further, like Brian today, join on the Gigaleg tier and get a show request and have your story be told. There are shows that are going to be on our radar, and there are shows that probably aren't going to be on our radar as much. I don't know when we would have gotten into Prague 2006 before getting this request today. So if there is something that you have on your mind that you're like, I really, really want to see them do it. I really want to see what they think about this. Then that's the way to do it. You get your request in on the gig leg tier. We live off these requests guys, because it was just us picking the shows. Who knows what they could be. The stories really help kind of push some of these shows out into the forefront. That's important to us. If you do want to request a show, but you want to go a little bit further and donate to our website, which can use all of the help as humanly possible right now. Keeping a website up is extremely expensive, and through this, it has helped us afford to do that every single year. So the Horizon Light tier is $10 a month. You donate there, and you will also get to request an episode, but just like last week with Tasker, you will get your own profile episode. You'll get a profile on the website. The way to do all that, what I just mentioned, is to go on patreon.com slash live on four legs or go to the Patreon app and search for live on four legs or you do the thing, just go to live on four legs.com and click the become a patron button. Those are all things that you can do to help support us. All right, PSA is over, guys. Let's get back into rock. Now, here is where we're going to bring our good little contingent of Czech friends from Sabrina to Peter to Kotka. This is really where I wanted to know what Ed was saying. So the next five songs are all going to connect with one another. It's going to be the only time that they would do something like this. First one's going to be Dead Man. 
as you kind of know from history, what a certain word in there is and what that means is that, yes, they're going to do a man quintet in this. And what I wanted to know from what Ed was saying in check was I wanted to know if it connected into what the section is. And the answer is yes. So the rough translation before going into Dead Man is, thank you, this song is about a man. Is he alive or is he dead? Well, I guess I'll leave it up to the song to explain that. That's a good tease, because like Dead Man starts the encore. What's going to finish this encore? A better man. Oh, alive. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole journey. It's a, it's a resurrection. That's but, right. Um, but yeah, ladies and gentlemen, you've heard the man trilogy. This is the man pentalogy. Oh, I like pentalogy more than a quintet right there. Yeah. It's pretty good. All right. Well, let's kick that off with dead man and we'll gradually grow into the finality of all this. So it's, this is just Ed solo. Very rare that we ever get to talk about this song. Oh. And this is, only the 19th and 21 times. You want to really hear something fucked? Here's a stat for you. Out of the 21 performances of Dead Man, only five were not played in the preset that were actually played inside of a Pearl Jam set. Yeah. And this is one of those five. Ugh. Another one hasn't been played since 2007. How does that happen? This song is so good. This performance is amazing. There's a moment in this where it's that little part where it is like a bridge of some sort where Ed's kind of, yeah, yeah, it's like singing a little bit higher, something about the shadows and something like that. And then right after he gets out of that, he kind of does the strum and he looks over to the crowd and it's like, and it takes you away. That's pretty damn good. It has a lot of excitement on this. It's the moment from the show for me. The hammer that I once brought down now hovers over me, casts a shadow across onto me. Dead Man is first in this. The tone and the overall imprint the song has is just lovely. Then we're going to go into Man of the Hour. So we're on the outskirts of what we know a trilogy to be. Man of the Hour sounds really good. I will say that I got a little bit more of a campfire feel to Man of the Hour here in this section. That's Stone's acoustic guitar. Yeah, very, very good. Mm -hmm. We've heard some renditions of this that just absolutely like leave you in tears, especially that part where everything cuts out and it's just Ed singing and you just lose it after that. I didn't get that from this. I got a good version of though. 
I love that it starts out Ed Solo and the band waits to come in and then they kind of all come in at once like, okay, kicks in here. That's very, very well done. If it wasn't for an incredible performance of Dead Man right before that kind of steals the thunder, I mean, Man of the Hour would be one of the highlights as well because, yeah, great performance. Fits in very well. I mean, this little mini trilogy here of Dead Man, Man of the Hour, and then Nothing Man is very, very good unto itself. Yeah. Those songs fit together more than the regular Man trilogy does. Probably, yeah. And what's interesting about Nothing Man, as we go into this right now, it hadn't been played since May of that tour. It had been 47 shows and they had played it. And we had talked about this a while back when we did the Evolution episode. It was not really a big song for this era at all. And it wouldn't be until like Backspacer Tour 2010 that it really came to prominence again. But this version gives you everything you want out of nothing, man. It's got a campfire aspect. It's got Ed breaking out vocally here. All of the ebbs and flows on this version do exactly what great renditions of Nothing Man does. It soars, and I can't understand why they couldn't bring this version out every single night in 2006 like they would at a later date. It's low-key a really, really good sing-along, and I think it took them a while to recognize that and to get on board with it. But yeah, again, this is Stone's acoustic guitar. It really has that folky, almost kind of 60s sound to it. That's all that acoustic guitar gives it that feel. It's so different from the electric and the studio version when they play it. Like, that gives it a completely different feel. These three songs, again, very, very impressive played together like this. I agree. And I think there was a little bit, when you get into Leatherman, it's a bit of a jarring transition. You got these three songs that were complete opposite of what you did in the main set and now Leatherman is like right back to where you were and there's not like this sort of Leatherman where it's a little bit more poppy and ease in it's just back to the full speed back to full gas it was just a little bit jarring of a transition in between the two it's got to be for the band too like I think they even take felt like there was a little like an extra couple of breaths between Nothing Man and Leatherman just to say okay we got to change the vibe of what's going on on stage right now it felt like they noticed that as well. We have to like take a second and prepare for this. It's going to be a different vibe right now. And I think that kind of transitions well into Better Man because this version of Better Man, obviously being the fifth of this pentology, the ultimate finale, you can now expect your crowd to have your back sing along and be in with it on this because Dead Man's not really a sing along. Man of the Hour is just watching, just. Oh, I want to live yeah. in a world where Dead Man is a sing-along. <laughs> Nothing Man felt like it was a sing-along, but it wasn't like at full sing-along, and Leather Man isn't really a sing-along to begin with. But Better Man is perfect for this because everybody understands. Now, I feel like I've really left out a key part of the story. We went pretty fast into the man. So after Dead Man, this is going back to our crack team in check here, Sabrina and Kaka and Peter. After Dead Man... Ed would say again, this song is about a man, which leads into Man of the Hour. Then after Nothing Man, leading into Leather Man, this song is about a man. But when you get from Leather Man into Better Man, change it up a little bit. This song is about a woman. How about that? You get to hear... The crowd noise rise a little bit after he says that. That's pretty damn cool. 
yeah, the crowd takes it on that first verse on Better Man, which always leads to a good version. And then just a fantastic saver for later. Oh, one of my favorites I've heard in a long time, and that's saying a lot because I've been pretty high on Better Man last couple weeks, it seems. So you get Save It For Later, but not only that, but you're almost doing a full song, a full version of Save It For Later. All the original lyrics, I think back to like State College where they did this version, it doesn't come out a whole lot. Probably less than 10 times that they've ever done it. Two dozen other dirty lovers Won't be a sucker for her Don't mean to cry to my mother But just let me come, let me come, let me come Let me come to a decision on ya crowd is all on top of it clapping along it felt like ed is all in the moment with this too that he only is just figuring it out at that moment it's like okay i'm gonna do this and see where it works and he kind of has a hunch for it then once that tag and the don't runaways really build up that's where you get into matt cameron territory unglued at that moment and stone maybe the most furious versions from stone i've ever heard him strum on this just top-notch, top-level stuff. And as mentioned before, to tie everything together, Dead Man leads to Alive as the closer. And you needed to follow up on all of that with probably nothing else but Alive because all that is leading to something big. You can't just now say, all right, well, here is Severed Hand. Here's like something random from the new album or something. You're just going to lose your crowd. But they know the weight of what just happened there, especially the way that Ed teed it up. And Alive is going to fire you up from here. And I see it as kind of being, if you go back to the Grand Rapids set from earlier that year, that's kind of seen as the beginning of what they would end up doing in the encores in 2013, 2014, Lightning Bolt era, really. It's kind of the beginning of that. And then once they do stuff like Around the Bend and Crazy Mary, I Ink Man of the Hour, if I'm not mistaken. They finish all that up with a live, and that alive feels massive because you've really just put out all these songs that have felt acoustic. It's doing something completely different, and then the crowd comes unglued for their biggest song. I love 2006 versions of Alive because they got the post storyteller's bump. That version really kicked everything off for the song, it really kind of resurrected it in a lot of people's view really accenting those haze and like people were doing the haze before that but you didn't really get the band playing it up and playing into it and they're doing that here they would do that a lot in 2006 and then just the theme of resurrection here that dead man going on that whole journey with the quote-unquote mentality and then leading up into a live is perfect 
another solo at the end with Mike that again kind of deviates from the norm, like just just off enough from what you normally hear to kind of perk your ear up and be like, okay, this is a little bit different. I like it. They're trying something here. An excellent version. Again, 2006 Alive is underrated in the history. One of the best years for the song. There's a little part where they kind of do the chopped up riff a little bit, where instead of like pulling out the full chords at the end, it's I mean, yeah, playing up those haze, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was perfect. They've done that. They don't do it a whole lot, but I really enjoy that iteration when it comes out. It's excellent. All right. Now we go into Encore 2. Really, the show could have ended at that point. Like, I felt like the show just kind of ended to me. You'd rather they flip the encores and just move Encore 1 to Encore 2 and just throw lead better on the end? Would that have been better? No. No. I don't. Maybe if Encore 2 was just rocking in lead better, yeah. But I just didn't see a need for Bush Leaguer and Comatose and to an extent given the fly a little bit, but they just captured something really special with the first encore. And I, I think it was just anything that was going to follow it that wasn't busting out Dirty Frank kind of territory was just not going to live up to that. Yeah, that's I mean. Like, would you, like, they come out for encore one and do Bush Leaguer Comatose given to fly? And then, and then do this in Encore 2? Nah. Save, save, save the man pentology and alive and led better for Encore 2. Nah, I like that it happened in Encore 1. Just because it's a completely different strategy than they did with the main set. Bush Leaguer is ending its infamous run. This is going to be the second to last version. We covered the last one last year when we did the London 2007 show. And... Yeah, like I think it goes along with just how Cameron's really pushing the pace for basically all these songs. This is just sort of gets rid of the Bush Leaguer identity a little bit. It becomes more of an upbeat rock and roll song than something that felt like you can kind of preach over. You know what Very I mean? Fast. Very fast. Yeah, it didn't do too much for me. Yeah, I mean, he's still playing up the shiny jacket and the mask and pouring the wine. And there's a moment near the end where the bush mask is on the mic stand and he takes a swing at it and, like, knocks it up way back off the stage to the side. It's a big reaction from that. But Swinging for the fence, got lucky with the strike? Is that what you're trying to say? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's just not really where they were in 2006 and onward. It just was beginning a little bit, like, shticky. Like, oh, here's this show. And that's not really what Pearl Jam does. It was starting to feel a little bit out of place. Especially it being in Prague, where yeah. it's as far away from U.S. politics as you can ask for. It, it's but a just, safe place to do it. They know it's not going to get a negative reaction from it. Right. They can do whatever they want there. But the shtick had run its course by that time. Comatose, given a fly. It really just kind of feels like this is a spaghetti toss encore. Where it's just kind of like, all right, well, what didn't we do tonight? We didn't really do a lot more avocado. You want to do another avocado one? Sure. Yeah, why not? And we kind of need another hit to get to rocking, like, uh, giving a fly. Okay, we didn't do that yet. So, all right, fine. Comatose had been used a lot in Encore 2 at this era. And I don't know if that would have been my first choice for how to use the song. It's fine. But giving a fly, if you think of giving a fly as being the alive in this situation, then I think that sort of changes the mentality. But if you take it out and just say, this show is not ending on bread and butter. It's just ending on the two and not given a fly being a replacement for a live, then it's fine. But if you're thinking in the aspect that it needs like a three song full closer, then given a fly is not 
necessarily the song that you would go for. And we've talked about songs that have been in this role before. I've seen State of Love and Trust in this role. Like some things that don't necessarily get used even in an encore too often. But Given a Fly didn't feel like it should have been replacing Alive or that was the idea of it too. Yeah, that comatose spot too. I mean, we've seen Go and Spin the Black Circle and Whipping and stuff used there to really good effect. And I think they thought they could just throw comatose in there and it would work. But yeah, this version of comatose is awkward at best. Like it starts out, almost gets into a train wreck situation. And Given to Fly again, super fast, what they were doing at the time. And like, yeah, I'm with you. This encore too, as the flow was not there, like it needed something else, maybe like a rearview mirror porch black like needed kind of an anchor there yeah those songs were just kind of tough to come by at this all right well now i think we can get into rocking and let better rocking in the free world you're listening to the guitars here you're listening to mike and you're listening to stone and really mike has got like a shreddy solo on the same plane as like a porch or even flowing this and it's in a way kind of like mike and stone's little crazy Mary duel because Mike gets a big solo, like after a verse stone gets a solo after a verse. And then they kind of trade off a little bit for the end. I thought that was neat. I love stone solo here. Another one again, that is just different enough that I mentioned, like to kind of make you take notice be like, Oh, this is very cool. Something's happening here. Stone and Mike together on this. And you see it on the video. Mike goes over to stone side and they kind of play off each other, which you don't see as often as you probably should. But Yeah, they're just totally having fun with it. We're into the celebration mode now. But in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about maybe the fastest rocket in the free world that they've ever played. But this one is right there as well. That will end you with Ledbetter here. And I think that kind of being the calm after the storm and finishing off on just a nice and easy way to end was probably the way that you wanted to do after a show that probably to a lot of people might have felt like the fastest show they've ever seen. But Mike tries to keep the show alive for a lot longer than it had any business being because when you get to the tag, like the crowd is in a way like clapping him on and like egging him on a little bit. And he goes on for a lot longer than usual. A ton of Hendrixy feedback. And there's a part where you think that at any moment he's going to transition to like a little wing or something like that. I really yeah, thought, yeah, I thought that too. Yeah. Like little wing was going to come and he gets there, but doesn't do it. And he keeps going like the normal, a lot of time for Ledbetter is exceeded here. So he gets to that and he does like all that Hendrixy feedback. And they're kind of, again, crowd kind of egging him on and being like, you got more, you got more, you got more. The band is doing it too. Right. And there's an eruption tease a little bit here as well. Mike is like, all right, this is what I got.
I don't love Eruption when it just randomly shows up in the middle of a set somewhere. But I mean, if you're going to do it, this is the time to do it when Mike's got the spotlight and you're at the end of the show and he's just having fun with it. I mean, you can see it on their faces. The band loves it. Like Jeff starts cracking up, laughing at it. They're all kind of doing a fake like, oh, yeah, you got this. Like, kind of like, oh, he's doing it. He's really doing it. Because I don't think he had been doing it very often. Eruption. They hadn't gotten to the point no. where they were really playing it yet. So this is kind of a, a new thing at the time. And then Ed's laughing. Stone's laughing. They're all just celebrating the show and having a great time. Nothing wrong with it. Ooh, all right. Did that feel like a sprint to you or what? A little bit. A little bit. Catch a breath. Yeah. Take a nap. All the good things. Okay. Gatorade. All that's done. for everybody. All right. Now let's find some songs that we want to bring to the forefront again and call our top three. All right. I'm going to go number three. Tough, tough. My number three is going to be Even Flow. My number two is You Are, and my number one is Dead Man. Yeah, I, know. I feel like I got a lot more choices than I thought. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to keep one of Insignificance, Marker in the Sand, and Sad out. And that really bums me out. Or I'm only going to be able to put one of those in. And honestly, I want to put Better Man in, too. Very, very tough decisions. But number three, I'm going to go with Last Exit. Number two, I'm going to give some love to the Pentalogy here. Just some extra love because I'm going to put Better Man at number two and I'm going to put Dead Man at number one. That's the takeaway from this show, so I'm going to stack it a little bit. All right. Interesting to see where the rating dictates it because there could be weighted ratings here in this that might bump it up a little higher or if you favor something else, it could bump it up a little lower. So I'm interested to see what the direction is. Yeah, this show, I mean, it's not perfect. I don't think it's in the 9, nine and a half, ten range, but MFC opener is very cool. Like I said, it's just a fun listen. It's quick. Everything has played very well. There are some really good moments, even flow and daughter. The man pentalogy is obviously a very unique thing. If you've been looking for a show that has that, here you are. The show, it surprised me a little bit. I wasn't expecting it to be as good as it was. Like you said, like you had a lot, of, a lot more moments than you thought you were going to have. So I'm going to stick with eight and a half on this one. It's a good listen. Okay. It's not perfect, but it's a good listen. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. And I think that the takeaway is the pentology. Yeah. For me. And I think if it didn't have the pentology, I'd be much lower on it than I am. I still really like a lot of the performances in the main set, but I think you needed a talking point. And, you know, I think people know about that they had played multiple man songs at some show, but I don't know if enough people know it was this one. That's unfortunate that it doesn't get talked about in that fashion. And that's kind of why we do shows like this, because we can say, well, this is what the important highlight was. People should remember certain shows for certain things. I think that section in itself bumps the show up probably like a full number grade for me. I still love a lot of the performances from the main set yeah, it tired me out. I wanted some balance out of that. Encore 2 left a little bit to be desired, but I enjoyed listening to this overall, and I was very excited about what they gave out of the five and how they worked it perfectly. I think top to bottom, going from Dead Man, Man of the Hour to Nothing Leather Better, I think is the perfect order to have done it. So 
I am going to give this, this might have been a seven if the pentology was something more normalized, but this is an eight for me. It bumps it up a full number grade. Even including Alive in that, this Encore oh, yeah, One, sure. it's a whole beam story unto itself. I mean, you could write a whole essay about just this Encore One. Yeah, right. Well, that's where it stands for us. We've gotten some pretty good shows so far, three in the books this year. And then next week, we're sticking within 2006. We are going down to Melbourne, Australia, and we're going to do a request from our good friend, William Reese. We will get his request of Melbourne. I believe it's the November 16th show from this year, 2006. And there's something kind of interesting and crazy that happens at the show that involves Ed's butt cheeks. I that's all that's I need a <laughs> yeah right I, I don't think I need to go in further than that so next week Ed's butt cheeks stay tuned <laughs> alright well if you've listened to this point we thank you for doing so and we really appreciate all of you that have decided to come here and listen to every episode every week and take in these great bootlegs because that's what keeps these stories alive and hopefully we have done a honorable job at putting these together. So that's where we ask you guys, if you have a moment to go to wherever you're subscribed to this podcast on Spotify and Apple, those are the two top ones. But if there's somewhere else that you want to do it and you could rate this show, a five-star rating, help us out a lot with our visibility. And again, if people see enough people give it five stars, they'll be like, all right, well, I'll be in on this. That's going to help us out a lot. Apple, leave us a comment. Not just the five stars, but leave us a comment. Let us know what you think of the show. And really, again, I say this every week. It's not really for us. It's for the next person that wants to listen to something Pearl Jam podcast-wise. Because maybe somebody is looking for some guys that are fans that want to break down their show. And maybe we are those guys to do that. So. You just never know. And with tour time coming right around the corner, it's a good time for everybody to be looking like, okay, where can I get more Pearl Jam? Where can I get more Pearl Jam? And if enough people leave enough nice comments and say enough nice things, then people will know this is a place where you can get that. So we're just happy to be a part of that and to be considered that, especially for this year coming up. There's going to be no lack of content and no lack of people's memories that we'll be talking about every single week so that being said we thank you all for listening this week let's close this show it's maybe the end we're here but not for much longer and although we may be parting ways miss you already miss you always ed's butt cheeks see you next week Papio Singa, yes or miss chesnia